0: and gain access to patron-only broadcasts and other perks, support us on Patreon at 2 for T. Welcome to the conversation. Hello, everybody. I have a wonderful surprise for you this week. I am co-hosting with Helen Pluckrose. Hello, Helen. Hello, it's nice to be back. I have missed you. I mean, I interact with you every day, but I have missed your voice. <laughs> um, Helen is coming to us from Essex <laughs> for her sins. And I, as usual, am in Buenos Aires. And our guest this week is Tamara Brauer. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. I'm trying to be more Dutch sounding. Tamara Brower, Um, from Frey Links. Yes. And she is a writer and editor for Frey Links, Free Left and uh she is a psychologist by training welcome Tamara. thank
1: you thank you for having me
0: my pleasure so could you tell us a little bit about what fray links is
1: um yeah um it's a movement um that uh, started in may last year 2018 uh and it started with uh, a manifesto that was written by uh four uh four people and it was published in one of the um, papers in the Netherlands. And it was a call to, uh, for the left uh, in the Netherlands to stick to their secular roots and um, support free thinkers and you know, go back to reasonable debate. And that stirred something uh among us and we decided that it should become a platform that we shouldn't just call for people uh to do this but actually create a place where people could do this themselves so publish uh pieces that would talk about certain things that we think are hard to talk about these days promote ideas the ones that we agree with but also ones we don't agree with and we've been doing this for a few months almost a year and uh it's grown into a lot more um uh, it's grown into a place where we publish pieces, but also a place uh where we organize uh meetings for people who who want to uh, participate in the debates who want to talk about certain issues on the left um, and we are trying to facilitate that and um it's growing into uh much more but we we want to give people uh, the chance to bring back a reasonable debate, uh, discussion, disagreement uh, about certain
2: issues. Yeah, well, would you say, because obviously most of our, our listeners are in the anglophone world, yeah. so we've done a lot of um, conversation about the problems that we're having, those of us who lean decidedly left, but we are still having with an authoritarian, identitarian left. Are these the same um, kind of problems that are happening in the Netherlands or are are they a little bit different? Um, Well, they're similar but low-key. So you see um,
1: everything is a bit more blown up. If you look at the US or the UK or um, those countries, um, things like identity are much bigger Mm -hmm. Um, and it's not like it's absent with us. It is there and that's the problem. Um, But... Uh, it is on a smaller scale, I think. What does happen is people use it more um, to um, ignore other important things on the left, like economic issues, which are very important to a big part of uh, the voters. And um, right now, the left in the Netherlands, uh, what we call left, I must say, um, are leaving. that We are not as big as we used to be. Uh, We've lost a lot of voters and we want them back and we think this is the way to do it. So by talking about economics and trying to focus on this more and on class instead of identity, constantly only identity, we are trying to go back to that.
2: Right. So you said um, that the, the manifesto, which I've I've read and and loved and um, completely agreed with, uh, it focuses a lot on secularism, and yeah. obviously the Netherlands is an extremely sort of secular and largely non-religious population. Yeah. But there's been a problem on the left recently with not keeping to secular values. Is that?
1: Uh, no, uh, it, true. Um, the problem is uh, secularism is something uh, we are known for. But is something that if you talk about it, it's, it's uh, not very popular. It's hard to sell. Uh, people believe secularism to be one of two things. Either uh, disbelief, so uh, atheism,
2: mm-hmm. uh,
1: which it's obviously not. It's, it's, a too, it's a part of it, but it's not the main focus. And they believe an equal playing ground for religions or non-religions, which is what would, it should be and what we think it should be, but it is uh, still very hard to sell and um, what's happened is that the left has embraced um, uh, minorities in a way that it includes religion and and mostly Islam, and it's very hard to talk about it in the way that we used to when it came to Christianity. and we're trying to get that back, but it's a very shaky ground. Uh, and, it's, and if you talk about it, it usually puts you directly in line with um, uh, rightist uh, parties and something uh, we sometimes get the nicknamed which means free right <laughs> because of these issues, because of secularism that we talk about and because of criticizing Islam and patriarchy within that. Uh, which is interesting for me, uh, because we have uh, always criticised religious institutions, and
2: this shouldn't be any different. Yeah. So there's a kind of um, cultural relativism going on on the left and the same way as there is in in the UK and and in America. And do you find, because what I've noticed a lot in the UK, which doesn't seem to be the, the case in the US, is that because religious believers um, really are a minority. I mean, there are people who identify with a religion but don't practice it, who are probably a slight majority. But um, true sort of religious um, believers who who practice and are devout are really a minority. It feels to a lot of people like bullying if you criticize religion. And I think with the Netherlands being even less um, religious is, is there that sense that it's it's just not fair to criticize religion? Yes and no.
1: We are very picky about which religions we criticize, and um, we usually we. It's not a history we have. You can criticize religion, um, but what is the biggest problem is in minorities, uh, especially from the Middle East. We automatically see a Muslim, which. Uh, some former uh, some um, former Muslims have taught us this is the problem. They are being seen still as Muslim because of where they're from, not because of their choice. And by that notion, uh, there are children who went to Arabic class when they were younger, for example, um, because they were from those countries uh, when uh, their specific language wasn't Arabic at all. It's just what we assume. So you you understand what i mean so it's 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 also we see mm. uh, a minority that's bigger than it is um there is much more diversity uh within these minorities, and that is being ignored. I think so. They're being sort of collectivized
2: into yes. a homogenous group that need
1: defending, so, and, yeah. and, and and that's very annoying because people within those groups who want to, um, who want to uh, challenge ideas, like we, um, we have written pieces about Shirin Musa, uh, from, Fr- um, and she is the one who defies patriarchy and male and hijab and freedom for women within their own uh, groups. Uh, but somehow she is not seen then as a good Muslim or a real one. She uh, has worked with parties that did support her, that were on the right. And because of that, she's lost credibility. And because of that, somehow she's not an authentic member mm-hmm. of that group and not, uh, not the right one to speak. And this is a problem, I think.
2: Yeah, so the the, the same problem is coming up that we've seen where um, liberal Muslims, secular Muslims, ex-Muslims want to talk about problems with gender equality, LGBT equality, and they're having trouble doing that on the left. So they are going to platforms on the right, and then this is used to discredit them, and they're, they're not considered to have a respectable opinion on their own ex-religion or... Because of their (laughs) associations with certain groups. So is Freilink's trying to give um, these sort of ex-Muslims and liberal Muslims uh, a voice? voice,
1: Yes, uh, it is. We have written about her quite uh, a bit. She uh, runs a group that's called Femmes for Freedom and Shirin Musa, and she is uh, one of the... um, leaders of uh, an organization that's called Femmes for Freedom, and we did. We gave her an interview, we talked about her a lot as an alternative to Islam bashing or Muslim bashing. Uh, There are solutions to to this, and she is a voice from within, and we are trying to amplify her voice. And some people appreciate that, but really regressive leftist
2: people do not. And that's why they consider authorities to be on the right.
1: Yes, yes, uh, because of that. Uh, And we try to show them that we talk about a lot of topics, about climate, about class, about economics, uh, uh, about vaccines, about a lot of things. But, you know, uh, it's a focus on what we also write about, which is religion and Islam. And, yeah. And women within those groups. And that is an issue.
0: I was going to ask Tamara, um, have there been any particular flashpoints? So, for example, one of the recent flashpoints in the UK was the um, protests against, uh, outside Parkfield School. So, a group of Muslim uh, parents are threatening to withdraw their children from the primary school, Parkfield Primary School in Birmingham. And they've set up a a, um, demonstration outside the school. And there's a guy who is preaching. And it's against the program No More Outsiders, which is a, I guess, a kind of civics and sex ed program, which teaches, among other things, that same-sex relationships are acceptable and uh, the Muslim parents are objecting strongly to this so that's become a kind of a point of conflict um have there been some recent issues like that and on a kind of related note how many of the so how many of the immigrants do you think recent immigrants do you think are muslim and how many of those muslims do you think are liberal versus versus conservative versus ex-muslim
1: Starting at the first, um, we have, uh, seen, uh, certain, like, things like that, but not specifically. So what we have is we have faith schools and all schools in the Netherlands are state funded so instead, unless they're private. So you have faith schools and you have what we call public schools and in the English would call state schools. Uh, with us is all state. Um, so we actually fund Um, religious schools and we uh, have Christian schools and we have uh, Islamic schools and a recent thing that happened is uh, one of the schools the Islamic schools uh, was known to be funded by terrorists and by uh, extremists uh, from outside the Netherlands Um, this has been um, something that's being talked about Uh, you know these are schools that we fund and this is happening uh, at these schools and that's what we need to talk about but there is calls for closing down such schools or not accepting this happening so in that sense um, yes certain things happen but um there is a limit to what the Dutch will accept so there is I think that uh, the regressive group on the left is not big enough t- for the Dutch to uh, accept such a thing um, so in that case, I don't think it's that bad yet, but we have through policies or have very for a very long time accepted these people uh, uh, talking in schools and, and, and preaching to children, um, Mullahs coming in. We have accepted that through policies. So um, the Dutch don't necessarily agree in that sense, but it is happening. So yes. Um, And I have to think about your second question. If I look at, for example, um, one of the uh, men, uh, my children go to a a, a state school, a public school. And uh, most of the um, children, uh, refugee children there are in public schools, in the state schools, because um, of the ability of faith schools to deny certain children. Uh, access to the school so they end up and i talked to this father and he um he was a muslim but not a very mosque going one quite liberal in that sense his children split with the girls it doesn't all matter he talks to everybody um still um to what extent i don't know i think there's too much diversity in the groups and uh it depends on where they are from um if I ask how many are actually Muslim, um, I think it's far less than we think. And it's also because of people who aren't Muslim anymore and they're, um, well, afraid, afraid and reluctance to speak out about it. So we assume they are, Mm. but they aren't. And that's part, part of them are open about it, but part of them aren't. So the number is,
2: um, is is smaller than we think, so is there a sense because um, when you we were talking earlier that you were saying that um, your worry is that the Netherlands is becoming more right leaning yeah, and that this is is largely because of a perception of um, sort of uh, conservative devout uh, Muslims whose values don 't um, don 't necessarily line up but, but your perception is that um that really with these uh, groups of people who are coming from certain regions which are associated with Islam, they are still very much more diverse and that we need to be able to talk about this on the left and allay the fears? Yeah,
1: Yeah, we have to talk about certain things. It's the same with immigration. Um, In the Netherlands at the moment, there is an issue with housing. And um, it has been for a long time, far before um, the, the immigrant issue came up. But because there is an issue and these um, people usually go to the front of the line, um, the issue is, is, is um, focused on immigration and uh, the combination with Islam and uh, the EU and Poland and UK- Ukraine and, you know, other people coming in. Talking about that makes you xenophobic. Um, But the real issue is talking about the fact that housing has just been, you know, a a problem for many years and there's not being, uh, people are not building anything. And so it becomes a very, you need to be able to talk about these things to find them out. And that's what we're trying to do, Mm -hmm. to explore, Uh, you know, where is the real problem? What is the real problem? We need to talk about it. But if we can't, we can't figure out these things, and it's just screaming uh, bigotry and xenophobia against Islam is bad. Throw them all out, mm. which is a very, very narrow way of speaking about these issues.
0: So about the the welfare state issues, that the extra additional demands mm. in the welfare state that come from immigrants. Uh, so I have a friend in the U.S. I don't know that he would exactly be consider himself left wing. He's a democrat voter but he's Mm -hmm. very much a capitalist um and he is a first generation Mm -hmm. immigrant from um bangladesh his parents are muslim and he is a an ex-muslim i'm not sure how quite how long he's been ex-muslim i think it's not been that long um he recently read ali rizvi's book the atheist muslim giving a quick shout out to Ali, who has been interviewed on a previous issue of this podcast. Anybody listening, if you'd like to hear our interview with Ali, he was quite wonderful. Look back in the previous episodes and you'll find us interviewing Ali. He read Ali Rizzi's book, The Atheist Muslim, recently, and he said, I wish I had read that 10 years ago, because then it would have taken me I would have immediately left Islam rather than it having taken about 10 years to leave. But he, his feeling, I was talking to him about why he thinks there is such a huge difference between Muslims in Europe and Muslims in the States, Muslim immigrants, recent immigrants, first and second generation, and uh, why I think it is that that U.S., Muslims seem to uh, um, be able to integrate so much better that so much fewer of them, I think this is statistically proven, are very conservative in their beliefs, or fewer of them are liable to become radicalized. Um, they are mm-hmm. much more chill, much more able to, much more, much happier mm-hmm. living in secular society. And his theory about this, which is which I don't like, mm-hmm. it may be true even though I dislike it, but I, I think it would not be a popular theory with left-wingers, but his feeling is the difference is the welfare state, that because in the states you really don't have much of an option to live off the welfare state for very long, even as a recent immigrant, and that means that you have to go out and work and working in normal society is a very good way of getting socialized whereas if you're living on welfare or many people in your family are living on welfare Mm. then you can very easily ghettoize you don't you're not really forced to go out and interact with wider society so you end up staying in your own little groups and when people are isolated and and ghettoised or voluntarily ghettoised, self-segregated, then they are much more likely to become or remain very conservative. I don't know what you think about that theory and whether you have some theories of your own about what is going wrong here.
2: If I were to say something on behalf of the UK, I think a big difference there would be that the U.S. is so much bigger, and I believe that their uh, Muslim population are much more spread out, So they're whereas here I think what we have tended to find with um, people who, who don't um, integrate is that there are whole communities, and so you could actually have a job because our, our Muslim, um, population tend to be quite high in employment. They tend to be small business owners or, um, doctors yeah, yeah. or, so if there's a sort of lots of family businesses, you, you could, could work and earn money without actually having to integrate at all. So I, I've tended to think that the difference there is that, um, that there's, there's much more sort of, um, variety in communities in the US, whereas there are little sort of clusters in in the UK. But mm. I, I don't know, is that, what, what's it like in the Netherlands? Um,
1: well, uh, in the clusters is the same thing. So a self-segregation in groups and uh, people can work. It's, it's, um, I don't want to dismiss his theory offhand, I partly disagree because I'm uh, currently reading a book called uh, Nieuwe Vrijdenkers, which is translated as New Freethinkers. And it's a book uh, from uh, the president of the uh, Humanist uh, Netherlands. And in it, uh, 12 former Muslims uh, tell about their journey from uh, being uh, one to not being one. And they're very different. But one thing, one theme that stuck out to me is that most of them, it started out quite liberal, um, uh, not conservative at all in the Muslim sense. But after a certain period of time, um, there came the um, uh, Saudi Arabia state funded television. Uh, people got satellite and they started watching those shows. And you hear this a lot uh, from. Uh, uh, from them, um, and they became. Uh, through that, more uh, conservative, more more strict, uh, it was haram to uh, do certain things. And all of a sudden, girls that used to uh, go out with their Dutch friends or, you know, meet boys or whatever, they weren't allowed to do so anymore. They weren't allowed to do a lot of things. All of a sudden, they started wearing headscarves and their identity or their nationality became identical to being Islamic. So if you criticize Islam, you criticize a nationality, which is not merge, mm-hmm. and for and so it became more segregated. Through that, they m- moved closer. They didn't interact with uh, uh, others as much, um, and they and they talk about this journey from not being that conservative at all to becoming more and more conservative, and they. Um, they point out that this happened during the time that uh, Saudi Arabia uh, became more involved in uh, television and um, uh, mullahs talking uh, and imams talking about this um, in a much more conservative way, in the things they couldn't do. And uh, it was much stricter, much more orthodox than they were used to. And the former Muslims talked about how that started their journey into leaving. Uh, but they also said that for others, this was a journey into being more orthodox and more radical and more conservative and more segregated. So it could go either way, mm. uh, depending on the person. Um, I think this will also have an effect. So, And I don't want to say it's the only one, because uh, I don't like this kind of absolutism, but... Um, uh, but I
0: don't think what Ali says is is the one thing. Um I think there's much That there wasn't that wasn't Ali. That's sorry. That my friend was quite inspired by Ali's oh, book. Sorry, yeah. But um it's not Ali who voiced this theory and I think he would probably disagree with it. Um no, it's uh it's uh, my friend um Inchad. <laughs> I, I doubt he's listening, but in case he is, hello Inchad. Um so one of my one of my best friends, um who is uh, who is Bangladeshi.
1: But in this sense, I don't think um, it's necessarily the same. Um, uh, it's also not the case that all... Uh, Muslims or all uh, 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 Middle Easterners, uh Turks or uh, Moroccan people don't work. They do. Uh, but you can work somewhere and still go home, still not personally on a private level, interact with others. You can still segregate while working. Uh, so I, I'm not mm-hmm. sure how much of an impact that has.
2: Yeah, I, I, I think... That 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 is a good point. But when you were talking earlier about faith schools, and um, yeah. obviously here in the UK, we we have the same um, issue going on, where um, the conservative government has um, been wanting to increase the number of of state court, state schools, and the the uh, humanists UK have been um, very concerned about this. That this is going to further uh, kind of segregate people. Yeah. And, yeah. And I think in, in this sense, uh, yeah, perhaps adults who go to work can keep themselves quite private and insular and, and stay mostly within their community. But children are very, very different. So yeah. I think you, you'd probably agree that this um, this this idea of, of faith schools where we have Muslim children over there, Christian children over there, Jewish children over there yeah. is is really very, very worrying for the, the future of um, a sort of unified society.
1: I think so, yes. Um, The segregation schools is something we've been talking about uh, Of people in schools is something we've been talking about uh, uh, at Freilings and um, researching that and trying to write about it um, because we think it's only going to get worse. It's not going to get better. And uh, starting from such a young age, being segregated. Uh, the book I'm reading now, The Nieuwe Freidings, the New Free Thinkers, they all talk about how important it was to meet different people from different religions, non-religions, um, and how in the Netherlands they've learned to uh, think critically about things uh, and meet other people, hear different perspectives. And this is the way they um, they learn to look at the world and at their religion and things um, in a critical way and, and decide what they did and what they didn't like and it's not being dictated to them. And I think that's a good thing. But if you're segregated, uh, it becomes groupthink. And, mm. and I think groupthink is always mm. the most dangerous mm. thing for any uh, group of people, so for any movement or any, uh, anything. It, it doesn't allow for any um, dissenting voices. It, it, it just doesn't, and uh, the, it gets worse, and the worse it gets, well,
2: the, cult, the more cult-like it becomes we need these um, this sort of viewpoint diversity, these, these different yes. views out there accessible to, to everybody, but particularly yep. to to young people, to yep. children who, who really need to be playing with some people who come from completely different backgrounds. It's, yep. it's much harder to... All of us, uh, also our children, because you,
1: uh, you see um, what's being resented much is white liberals uh, preaching a diversity, yet Putting their children in schools where it's just, you know, white children from a liberal background—that's not really diversity—and so people resent them for that. And, and not completely, I think that's it's fair that they are resented for that. And they're preaching something, not practicing it. Um, they also need to hear different viewpoints. I think mm. um, so. It's it's for everybody, basically.
0: Um, does the school you be- you send your children to not depend on catchment area? Because in the UK, unless you send your kids to private school, you don't have a choice.
1: Uh, well, I live in a very very small village. So what happens when you live in small villages? You don't have many schools to choose from. Um, mm. My kids just go to the public or the state school there, and that's one big mix. And we do have a Christian school, uh, but they can, um, and at first, uh, refugee children uh, were sent there, but the ones that were Muslim found out it was a Christian school, but well, they didn't want to go there. So they went to the uh, public school, the state school, which was um, it doesn't uphold any religion. And so um, my children have by necessity, uh, which is a good thing, but by necessity, uh, a very diverse school because everybody from this little village just goes there. So there is not really an an option in the village to segregate the children that way. In Amsterdam, uh, I have heard of people that say that is happening and uh, they are segregated and and especially more wealthy parents um, they have more choice um, but you have to tick boxes and it, it's a very hard system and we are going to write about it but yeah uh, it's quite different than from, from where i live so personally i do not have this issue with my children and schools
0: mm. so Are there other flashpoints, other points of disagreement or other things, topics that you feel that it is difficult to talk about, honestly, or where it is hard to stake out a position that is liberal and that is in alignment with left-wing philosophy and politics, which is not in any way pandering to right-wing or far-right scaremongering, but... But which goes against some of the orthodoxies, of the left. Apart from Islam, what are the other topics that you feel are have become difficult to talk about, and which you'd like to provide, for which you'd like to provide a space where people can talk freely? Uh,
1: climate. Uh, climate uh, is, mm. and climate is one of those topics that is hard for both the left and the right, because we have people on the right but support the way we talk about the left. Uh, but when we talk about climate, we notice that it's very hard. They think it's a religion. And so anything you say about it, even if you support uh, doing something, anything about climate change uh, is seen as as religious and zealots. And, you know, and we get comments like, oh, you're still the same as everybody else. It's very hard to talk about. And on the left, um, talking about nuclear energy or any any alternative to fixing climate is putting you in the box on the right, denying climate change and all that sort of thing. Um, uh, Criticizing anything, talking about ideas, instead of just saying, oh, climate change exists, we need to do about something, solar panels, windmills, blah, blah, yay. Instead of doing that, you, you. It's very hard um, to get people to listen to that or to talk about it. Uh, I find it very hard, and I, it's something I wish would happen more. Uh, other thing, um, anti-Semitism, uh, Israel, and uh, Palestine is a very hard hard topic to uh, to talk about.
0: Can I return to climate change for a moment? So, are people on the left in the Netherlands generally against nuclear power? So, is there is that where the contradiction lies um
1: well the thing is um i don't know because this is something that is just not being talked about at all uh it's not something that we think is being stifled in debate but not debated it's just usually said that it something needs to be done as usually pointed out it's trying to convince people that climate change is real and important and uh, policies um um they want to um make that will help change that but that makes the people so the residents the citizens pay for it not big companies and that's the thing that is yeah that that's the thing what people are talking about they have to pay for it they don't have the money to pay for it so they don't uh, support it and therefore climate change is a hot topic um a hard topic to talk about um, so it's very hard to think what they actually think about climate change because it's not being
2: asked of them. So there's a lot of um, conversation going on about issues around it. Do you accept yeah. that it's happening or do you not? Who yeah. should pay for it, but actually talking about what could be productive and doing anything is, is not happening.
1: Not, not really, no, yeah. and we're trying to, uh, but I do understand and I'll admit myself that until recently I didn't really know and you really have to find out, okay, what does it mean? Uh, what different options are there? So I don't th- I don't know how many people even know about all these different options or know what what they are talking about when they're
2: discussing climate change. And if- they're stuck in this sort of financial yeah. and political polarization. And-
1: yeah. You need to be talking about it in different ways. And that, that is not really happening. And we're trying uh, to do that. I'm trying uh, to do that. But it's not that uh, it's not that easy. Um, it, it's it's hard on both sides, so it's not just a, really a leftist thing. It's also on the right an, an issue talking about it. Um, so you get from both sides.
0: So do you feel it's it's difficult to criticize because we all we all agree that um, climate change is important and something should be done about it. It's therefore yeah. difficult to properly scrutinize and criticize specific proposals. I think so.
1: Uh, for a long time, I didn't uh, say anything about climate change and didn't tweet about it because every time I did, there are a uh, few people coming in telling you how wrong you are, that you're a climate change denier, or, which you aren't. Of course you aren't. But. You know that's that's very hard the discussion takes a different turn, and you're not well versed enough my knowledge of it wasn't good enough so i i I just wouldn't uh talk about it and I think that's wrong uh because how am I supposed to find out about it? how am I supposed to form an opinion if 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 I can't talk about it in a reasonable way uh, with people maybe no more uh but it, it's a, a debate that gets very heated. If I watch other people debate, I think, oh, I don't know enough about this topic, so I'm staying out. And I don't
2: think that's a good thing. Mm. 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 So, no, sorry, that, that was, you started to talk about anti-Semitism, is that?
1: Well, um, we have uh, one person, for example, wrote a piece about uh, anti-Semitism and Zionism and how Zionism these days is slowly being used to just, say, um, a dirty Jew for example that it is it but it sounds nicer right
2: so uh, zionism s- is a is a code word for anti-Semitism. Now,
1: yeah but, but people are using it because they i'm sure there are people who don't who say that who don't mean it that way and who who are uh, reasonable and 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 want to argue about that in good faith but when you know yourself when a topic is being discussed this way uh, by other people who do not do that then everybody doesn't which is the conclusion at the end. Um, he wrote about this, and I thought it was a very good piece. Um, but, of course, uh, uh, we also have people saying there's the, this is also a both-side issue. So people on the right saying this is the Israel lobby and the Jews who rule the world and blah, blah, blah. And on the left saying, um, the, you know, Israel's the one occupying Palestina and they're the ones who are the aggressors and we're supporting that. And that's not true either. So again, you're stuck between those two sides and, uh, two, two part, yeah, mm-hmm. political sides. And that's, that's hard. Um, also, we published a piece saying there is freedom of speech and although we don't support the uh, boycott against Israel um one political party had said that they do support the freedom of people to do so while not supporting the boycott themselves um we wrote a piece about that but interestingly enough they didn't promote it themselves they didn't try to show other people that that was not what they meant they let that part slide and so we doubted ourselves at that point uh it, it's a very heated topic and so at the one uh the one person thinks we're anti-semites and the other person thinks we're pro-israel pro-israel uh soros uh, people uh, you can't
2: really win right so you you've, you're seeing the polarization on the issue of islam and on the issue of climate change and on the issue of anti-semitism yeah yeah. And then there's violence in the middle. They're trying to um, bring a economic and social leftist stance, which sort of rejects the sort of extreme polarizing stances on, on both sides and is... Is getting put on the right by the left and on the on the left by the right?
1: Yeah. Um, now, some there are a lot of people who do support us. Because it's, you know, it's not like we do not have those people, and we do. And some want us to be a political party. Uh, there is much disagreement about this within uh, the group itself uh, about this, as with all topics we write about. I, uh, I've published. Uh, we've published quite a few things that we disagree with, and some of us agree with, and others don't um uh, but this yeah that is uh, uh there is an issue and it's always the same people you know it is but there are the ones their voices are being uh, amplified and so they are the ones deciding the debate and we are trying to change that you can disagree about these issues that's fine it's it's not a problem you can have different ideas i will probably not agree with a few of yours but it's not about that mm. it's about being able to disagree in a reasonable manner. Um and I and I hope this will continue, talking about these ideas and openly disagreeing with each other without calling each other names or calling each other fascist or whatever.
2: So I, I know that um for you you you've been much more focused on on sort of political discourse um going back and forth among just sort of um the the average um Dutch person who yeah. is um Looking at ideas, you've not focused particularly on um, academia. But yep. do you have any kind of sense of, of um, what is going on in the, the Dutch universities with, um, with, with these kind of uh, identity studies, or, or have you really not addressed that? Much? Uh,
1: we have, and it, um, until recently, I, oh, I was a bit skeptical about it because I always thought, I have told you many times, I don't think in the Netherlands that problem is as big. As it is in the UK and the US. Uh, uh, but, uh, and I still think that, I still think there is a difference there. But I do think it's uh, worse than I thought it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's different than it is in the US uh, because it is, I believe, under the surface much more than it is in the uh, US. With us, it's more at an uh, administrative
2: level. So, um, you know... Are you getting the talk about... um, diversity inclusion intersectionality
1: yeah and i think we uh, have an, uh, a univer- we have one or two universities that um for example uh when peterson came to talk uh, jordan peterson came to talk at the uh university the ufa we called um university of amsterdam we um there was a call to platform him so that does happen um they were criticized for that but that did happen so it's not like it's absent. It's not absent and it does exist and but it's harder to find out to which extent this is happening because it's less open uh, and more within uh, the people that work there less so with the students I think yeah. and so it's I, and in that sense I don't think it's as bad yet but then again I don't want it to become that bad and that's why I wrote about yours and uh, James and Peter's uh, uh, piece and what you did. Uh, I I, I want to prevent that from happening here. You know, it doesn't need to get that bad before we pay attention to it. Uh, But uh, I think in order to get people to pay attention to those sort of issues, we have to show that we also care about other issues on the left, like economics, which is just an important part for voters. And in the end, our goal is to make the left
2: stronger again. We want voters back, and that's not happening right now. So the government that you have a, at the moment, is is that a conservative government by, by your by standards? By our standards, yes. Yeah.
1: Yes, um, we have a... Let's say one of the uh, parties that forms is in the coalition is a Christian party. So yes, we uh, for our standards it is. Uh, I, I I don't know uh, how that would be for you, uh, but um, and we are not gaining any votes. And new political parties coming um, uh, on the scene are growing, and they are not the leftist
2: parties. So- are they populist? Would, you, would that be a term? Yes. Yeah, so they're, they're kind of they're anti-expertise. They're um, quite insular. There's a, a sort of nationalistic element to it. Is well, one is really anti-expertise, but, uh,
1: but the other one, not necessarily. They like they, um, for example, talking about climate change. They just uh, grab different experts. So the one descending voices uh, on on this topic, that's the ones they use. So it's quite more clever. That way, they're not, you know, because they're not showing themselves to be that way. Uh, they they do use science, and um, but they use it in a different way. And uh, I think that's why um, you wouldn't normally uh, call them populist, but in a sense, yes.
0: I was going to ask, how much support do you feel the far right has in the Netherlands at the moment? Are you concerned about uh, growing support for the far right? Or do you feel that that support has peaked and is on its way down? What do you think is, how do you gauge the atmosphere in that regard? I think, um, well, it has been
1: growing. Um, To the far, far right, I don't know. Um, but it has been growing. And do I think it's peaked? No, it can always get worse because I think our left side is uh, much more, um, it's not as bad as, for example, the US or the UK. If it would become that bad, it would grow. Uh, I think it would. Um, So no, it hasn't peaked. Um, There is much on those, in those uh, groups, there's much love for Hungary and for Orban. And I think that could grow. Um, and I, we don't want that, <laughs> so we mm, want the opposite to happen. So yeah, we are trying, uh, and 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 I think we are doing reasonably okay. But uh, you know, it, it feels like a drop of water on a hot plate at the moment, like like mopping the with the tap
0: still open. <laughs> <laughs> so, what are the things that you would the left is not focusing on that you would like to see them focusing on? Do you have some specific policies or policy directions in mind?
1: I would wish to focus uh, them to focus more on the social economic issues like housing and that sort of thing. Uh, class, back. I, I think that it always comes down to class. It always has and always will. I, I would hope they would go back to that uh, secularism. I really would wish they would go uh, back to that as well, and also in schooling. And uh, I would uh, like them to be more critical of funding uh, in schools and mosques and everything outside of the Netherlands, uh, of uh, more uh, uh, fundamentalist groups. Yeah, that's issues I really would like to talk about, uh, them to talk about more. And I hope they will, (laughs) but i'm not i'm not I'm not sure that's going to happen
0: mm. are there are there some ways in which you feel that the Netherlands is unique for historical or social or cultural reasons um that would relate back to these kinds of topics? What would you say to somebody who doesn't who knows nothing about the country as to what do you think characterizes politics there? Maybe that's the fish and water um, question that is too difficult to answer. But in the Netherlands,
1: um, we um, are very—we uh, can be very open to talk about things, yet not certain things uh, are not talked about. I—I'm not sure. I'm—I'm I'm very reluctant, or uh, I'm a little hesitant, to say it's one thing that we're different mm-hmm. in. Um, because um you know in Europe all countries are and in different ways and in uh, some ways there's overlap and in others there isn't uh, but I think we have always been a country that kicks uh against the religious bucket and we, mm. um, we have always done so and very harshly too uh, I think um and we're we're not doing that anymore, and this is a change and i uh we're very much about look at our multicultural society uh but if your multicultural society self segregates um how how multi then it's multicultural still true uh but there is not much mixing in this diversity it's uh, it's against that diversity because everybody has their own group uh, mm-hmm. and I think uh, so I think uh, we, as as Dutch, believe we are very multicultural, and in a way we are, uh, but in a way we are not, not in how we interact mm-hmm. with each other. And um, we should address that issue. I think it's not necessary that one group is bad. It should be just can we do something to change that? Or how can we change? It? Do we want to change that? And what are the problems we face? Um, yeah. Uh, but if, if one
0: thing that's different, eh,
1: yeah, that's a hard question.
0: Mm. Because I always think of Holland as being a country, the Netherlands as being a country very that has historically been very much fixated on trade. And trade, mm-hmm. is, trade is independent of religion and is about... It's it's not about that's not its purpose, but it serves to bring people together. It provides your you with a with the one kind of motivation which is stronger than belief or identity or whatever else, which is a profit motive, um which yeah. has proven to be a very an actually a very positive force. And I think we need to return to the idea of a melting pot because It's over, as you said, it's all very well to have multiculturalism in the set. But if what you have is a whole series of groups, each of whom is segregated and ghettoized and separated from the others, then each person is living a monocultural life, more or less. There's no true multiculturalism in that because there's no real exchange, Um, exchange of ideas, exchange. Historically, the Netherlands has been this kind of hub, uh, this trade hub where everybody arrived and exchanged goods, exchanged ideas. Um, And that's, I think, one of the things which created such a, a traditionally prosperous and fairly tolerant society.
1: Yeah, in, in a way, uh, we in in that sense trade. We are principle. We, we for example, we stopped certain arms trades, um, and uh, you know there is a principle behind uh, it, and, and and that's true. Um, but I, I also, I, and I agree with you, and I think we need to uh, go back to. Uh, there is nothing wrong with multiculturalism, but we, and we are tolerant, tolerant country, but we um, need to be careful. We are not tolerant of the intolerant, mm, mm.
2: Uh,
1: and uh, you can take things too far. And if we are not, to, uh, if, if we show that we are not tolerant of it, we can do so in a, in a in a respectful manner that that's possible and right now that's not really happening you're either you're condoning it or you're condemning uh, it and its people altogether and I think there's a a road to walk uh, in the middle great thank you Tamara yeah you're welcome thank you for having me it's (laughs) been
2: great fun it certainly does does seem that uh, although in slightly different ways the netherlands is is seeing the same kind of um pal- polarization and communication problems that we're that we're seeing all over
1: yeah i i, I don't think we're d- that different in that sense yeah. i just think and that that's really a personal thing. But I think it's not as bad as, and maybe that's naive. That could be naive. And, and, and I want to be very optimistic, my own optimistic view. I just, when I uh, see in, in media, I think, well, at least it's not that bad yet here. Um, but that could be my own personal optimistic bias right now. So you I see just, the danger. Yeah, I, well, exactly. I do see the danger and I don't want it to get there. Um, but there could be people who disagree with me and think we're already there, I'm sure. But
0: Well, let's hope that Freilinks becomes part of Freilinks. I'm trying to do my yeah. Dutch voice. It is instrumental in keeping the focus where it belongs, on people's well-being and on liberal yeah. and secular values and humanism. And can you just uh, tell us more about where to find uh, Freilinks?
1: Uh, well, we um, have a website ww.ry- And um, we publish pieces there. And there's a hashtag as well. Yes, Freilings is a hashtag as well. And you can, and, and much of it is in Dutch, but you can translate. It's, you know, it's a fun thing. It translates okay. And if you're interested in uh, what we talk about, then uh, you... you um, The manifesto is in English on the site. So for people who uh, would like to read that, uh, we do have it in English on the website.
0: Great. I will link to it in the show notes. And people... I would encourage people also to follow you on Twitter and uh, to get in touch with you directly if they have more questions or want to know how to support you. Great. Thank you. Thank you very much. And thank you, Helen. Yeah, no, it, was it was lovely to
2: be back. And I uh, I look forward to, to talking to Heather Huyang next week. So uh,
0: Yes, that's yeah. going to be exciting. <laughs> thank you both. And now for more wine yes (laughs) yes (laughs) goodbye everybody goodbye to our listeners and have a lovely week you've been listening to two for tea the accompanying podcast for ario magazine ario is a non-partisan political and cultural digital magazine with a universal liberal humanist slant edited by helen pluckrose with the assistance of sub-editor yours truly at ario We hope to counter the current atmosphere of frenzied partisanship and hysteria with calm, well-reasoned articles and civil discussions. Both ARIO and 2 T are entirely audience-supported. You, our readers and listeners, make these conversations possible. You can support the magazine, the podcast, or both on Patreon. Look for ARIO, A-R-E-O, A for Apple, R for Robert, E for Edward, O for orange, and two for tea. All patrons will get access to free monthly patron-only podcasts and other perks. Plus, by becoming a patron, you will keep these platforms alive and flourishing. Two for tea is available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and all other podcast subscription sites. If you are listening on a podcast app, take a moment to hit that subscriber button. Give us a rating. Write us a brief review, even just a couple of words. Spread the news. Thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful week.